0: Check one. Yes. Let's go. You guys ready? We're jumping right in. Actually, we're not going to. I thought during Brennan's announcements that at some point when he's we talking about Christmas carols, he's going to do the classic line. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is... We all should not know that line. <laughs> Just kidding. Elf is probably the greatest Christmas movie ever. Maybe? I don't know. Why is everyone laughing? Why is everyone giggling? What happened? Okay, good. Thank you. Confirmation. We are in the last week of our Learn to Live series, looking at the life of Elijah, looking at what it looks like to live in a culture that seems anti-God or anti-Jesus, anti-faith, anti-religion. And as we look at the life of Elijah, he had a lot of same things going on in his culture. He had a king who was the king of the Israelites that was against him. The king's wife Jezebel brought in idols and Baal worship. And so we've read these stories over the last four weeks of these one incredible moves of God that we've seen God do through Elijah, through his obedience, through him just being humble and bold. We've looked at the life of Elijah when certain things didn't go a certain way and how when our expectations don't meet our reality, we can get into a state, into a season of not really understanding what's going on, of asking the question, why a ton? And in those moments, how God provides simply for us, we looked last week at what it looks like to just recognize God's voice, the reality that we all have the ability and opportunity to recognize God's voice. Because he's speaking, desiring for us to hear from him daily. Hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second. He is speaking. He is moving. He is wanting to do something in our life. What we're going to end with is we're going to look at kind of the end of Elijah's story in Scripture in in 1 Kings. And we're going to go into 2 Kings. And we're going to look at his predecessor as well. A guy by the name of Elisha. And their names are way too similar. I don't know what was happening. I don't know if it was like the Oasis situation where you just had to have like a similar sounding name to get the job. Because the previous pastor was Ben and I'm Ben. That's the joke. <laughs> but we have this man named Elijah. And the guy that God has called next is Elisha. And so right now, warning, I'm probably going to intermix these names somehow. And so I apologize. We're going to get it through together. Amen? Nothing. Oh, man we're gonna have to, everyone's gonna have to stand and do jumping jacks here. I know it's, it's finals week. I love you guys for being here, and I legitimately am excited for what we have tonight. What we're gonna get into is the simple question, kind of this question of, why are we here? Think of the first time that you, like, really thought of that question, or even were asked. Because there were different moments of my life when I was asked the question, why am I here? And my response was different. So in elementary school, when I got asked why I was here, I'd say, my parents dropped me off and they told me how to go to school even though I don't like it. Or even when I was in high school, why are you here? My parents are making me go to school. I blamed a lot of my parents. And then all of a sudden I get close to graduating and in my household, it wasn't so much what was the next step. And as you're getting ready to go to college, you apply to college, you got accepted, it wasn't okay. Me thinking through, okay, why am I here on this earth or what's my purpose or what is going on? It was in that moment, how can I survive the next couple weeks, graduate, and leave this town? And then I got to Brookings, was in Pearson Hall had an undeclared major for a really long time because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And all of a sudden, the question, why am I here, really started to kind of rotate in my mind. And I didn't know how to answer it. And especially in my first semester, as a freshman at SDSU, I didn't know Jesus. I was lost and lonely, broken, hopeless, and depressed. I had struggled with alcoholism. I, I didn't really... Wrestle with the reality of why am I here? Is there a purpose to this right thing called life? And as I was reading these final passages in 1 Kings, and we're gonna get into 2 Kings as well, the overarching theme, the overarching thing I see is as Elijah, this man who we've been following for the last month. This man who's had some rough times, but seeing God move in incredible ways, was asked to do one final thing. And he's obedient to this ask. And what we see is as he comes up to his predecessor, the guy who's gonna become the next prophet of Israel, what we see is the call of God on this man named Elisha. And so I'm gonna read a ton of scripture. So you're welcome. Verses 15 in 1 Kings 19, I'm gonna read... Fifteen through 21 and then we're going to jump to 2 Kings chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, be ready. Now, and I got to kind of give this side note. There's 1 Kings and there's 2 Kings. Uh, And in the Old Testament and in Scripture, if you were to go back, there's a 1 Chronicles and a 2 Chronicles and then there's another couple books that's 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Originally, these books were one big book. And they were split for a couple different reasons but a lot of the time they were split because there's a transitioning happening in the story that or they just didn't want us to have 40 some chapters in one book and so when it's First Kings and Second Kings it's this transition it's this continuing story of Elijah and Elisha First Kings 19 verse 15 the Lord said to him go back the way you came so he's in the cave oh, oh man just forgetting a ton of stuff Last week we ended. He's in the cave. He hears the gentle whisper of God. He's waiting to hear what's the next steps. Here it is. Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nim- Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel, Mahola." to succeed you as prophet. I definitely got some names wrong there. Just throwing that out. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. And so we jump to verse 19, and it says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Japhat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah, and he became his servant. Jumping to 2 Kings chapter 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And we're going to jump to verse 8 because what happens in between these verses is the same exact thing where Elijah says, the Lord's called me this place. And Elisha says, and he says, stay here. And Elisha says, no, I'm going with you. He says, the Lord's called me to the Jordan River. Elisha, stay here. And Elisha says, no, I'm coming with you. So then in verse 8, it says, Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken away? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. I'm going to stop there and breathe a little bit. Because I'm super pumped that I kind of got through that saying the right names. So what we have is this incredible, I think, story of Elijah hearing from the voice of God. Hearing God in this gentle whisper. And God speaks to him and he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Here's the next steps. Go do these things. Anoint these three people. And so Elijah, as we looked into it, and as we talked about over the last month, is obedient. I'm going to go do that. So he goes and he finds Elisha. And why this relates to us today is yes, okay, there's some of us here who are not called into ministry, who are not called to be pastors or preachers or prophets. But every single one of us wrestles with the reality of wondering what is my purpose? What is my purpose? Because ultimately, what we're wrestling with is this question were you thrown into the world? Or were you called into it? Were you thrown into this world as happenstance? By accident? Or was it purposeful? Were you called into it? Amen. I believe that in order to know our purpose, we have to understand the call of God. uh, Does anyone here like musicals? I might lose like, yes, oh, my men, yeah. Yeah. I love musicals. I don't know why. I I, I don't love them in the sense where, like, I would pick up my family and I'd go take my wife on a date to New York to go see a musical. One, we don't have that much money. Two, she does not like musicals at all. But I like them. I like singing. I like the songs. They're really great. And I really like Les Mis. And they're, yes, let's go. (laughs) Super good. Um, I've watched... The Broadway version on YouTube, because I haven't seen it live. And then, of course, I've watched the movie version with Hugh Jackman, who crushes. Wolverine can sing. It's amazing. (laughs) And I'm watching this, and I'm reminded, as I'm reading this, of a song that is sung during the movie. And during— during. This play lame is. And and we're gonna put the lyrics up here. I'm not gonna sing it. I told I know. I told Jane I I, I asked her, we argue I didn't say argue. I'm like, should I sing it? And I not saying, I might sing it. She really wants me to. I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> but the lyrics go like this. Drink with me today's gone by. Can it be you fear to die? Will the world remember you when you fall? Could it be your death means nothing at all? Is your life just one more lie? Well, what's happening in this scene and in this movie, in this play, is they're preparing, and it's getting ready during the nightfall. They're getting ready for, to be attacked. And so they're fighting for freedom. They're revolting against a government that is not for them. And all of a sudden, these lyrics come up, and there's a wrestling. Why am I here? Why am I living this life? Does this life have meaning and purpose? And the answer, answer to all of those questions, can it be you fear to die? Will the world remember you when you, fall, when you fall? Could it be your death means nothing? Is your life just one more lie? If there's not a creator, if there is not a God who has called us into this world, if we were just thrown into it by accident, the answer to those questions is yes. To yes to your death will mean nothing. Yes to you will not be remembered over an extended period of time. If there's no creator, there's no purpose. And now there's a lot of people who, who would call themselves atheists or agnostics who don't have a relationship with God that would argue their life does have purpose. And there's a lot of people who are atheists who have done some actually really kind of cool things in this world. But when we look at the scope of eternity, when we look at the reality of us being created and why we're here, if we don't look to the creator, if we don't look to the father, if we don't look to God, who has called us into this world and not thrown us into this world, I don't think we can have true fulfilling purpose. Each and every one of us has a need of a call. And I think we get to the point where Elisha, as Elijah comes to him and throws a cloak on him, recognizes this need. So, my first point is this we have a requirement of the call. There's a requirement of a call into existence, of a call into something in order to understand our purpose. We have this need within us, a need of a call in our life if we're going to have purpose. In order to understand the purpose of God in our life, we have to understand the call of God in our life. And I'm repeating it for a reason, because I think we wrestle too much with the idea of purpose And we forget the reality that we're called into an existence that is real and good and powerful. In verse 19 of of what we just read, says, So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of Japhat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was on the last pair, the 12th pair. So Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. What we can gather from this is that Elisha is a rich man. In order to own 12 oxen in this day constitutes wealth. It means more than likely that you have substance and more than enough. Elisha was well off. He was most likely comfortable. And the reason that we know that he owned them is because it says he was driving the last pair. And so Elisha is just going in his life. He's a farmer and that's not bad. He's doing the work that was passed down from him, and Elijah, who's been spoken of by God, is looking for Elisha. Somehow knows it's him in the field. Jeff, can you come here for a second? I'm gonna, we're going to have some fun, real quick. Can you do your? You can come on up. Come on up. Welcome to the stage. This is Jeff. Can we give a hand around applause plaza, Jeff? Here's what I want you to do. Can you give me your best impersonation of plowing a field? Yes, you have two, two oxen in front of you, they're together, and you're just like leading them down a the field. So here's what's happening. This is gonna be beautiful. That's beautiful. So Elisha is driving along, and he's on this road, and he knows he's looking for Elisha. It's beautiful. And somehow he recognizes that this young man is Elisha. And he gets off of his chariot, he gets off of his whatever, and he goes and he runs through the field, off the road, and he finds him, and he throws this cloak on him, and then he walks away. <laughs> what is your reaction? If so, <laughs> you wonder if this is what Elisha did. I wonder this. This is this scene. This is what ha- Can we get a round of phosphor? This is beautiful. So good. <laughs> That's the scene that's what's happening. This poor man, young man, rich man, comfortable well-off man is plowing along beautifully, I might add, by the way. (laughs) And this weird, strange, probably smelly old guy, because he's been running for years away from being killed, with this old nasty cloak that tells people he's a prophet and throws it on him. And in that moment, something happens with Elisha. You see, what I think happened is Elisha didn't recognize that he had a need of a call in his life. I think he was doing the things that he knew he was supposed to do in that moment, in that season of his life. He was doing the trade that was in his family. And all of a sudden, unknown by him, a man's looking for him because he has a call in his life. And why I think that he all of a sudden got this recognition and understanding of this requirement of a call that we all have in order to have purpose is in verse 21, it says this, so Elisha left him, left Elijah, and we're skipping verse 20 for a reason, he took his yoke of oxen, he slaughtered them, he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Elisha threw a party. Elisha threw a party. He had everything in the world. He was comfortable and well off. And all of a sudden, as the cloak goes on, there's this understanding that happens within within him, an understanding so real and powerful that he decides to throw a party for not just his family, but for the entire town. Because he's celebrating this recognition that God has called him into something. If you have everything the world has to offer but don't have the call of God on your life, then you have nothing. Period. And that's hard. That's really hard. If we don't understand the call of God. God. Do you understand the call of God? If not, that's okay, because we're going to talk about it. Second, second point is this. Not only is a requirement of the call, there's a need within us, but there's a reality of the call. There's something that's happening in the story that Elijah does and says that gives us indication of the realness of the call of God. And what we're going to talk about then after that, after I speak on what he says and what that means there are two aspects of the reality of the call of God. In verse 20, so we're going to go to it. I know we skipped it. We'll go to it. It says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. Side note Does anyone still here as a young adult kiss their mom or dad? We got a couple hands. Okay, this is not weird. I'm just going to encourage you right now. For some reason, the Gietzen family, okay, my last name's Gietzen, the Gietzen family are Germans. We. I think all of us were created and wired with the love language of touch. And so, like, <laughs> I had to tell the story. My grandpa—oh, <laughs> so good—my grandpa, who's, who's not alive anymore, uh, loved just to kiss everyone. And it wasn't weird. Like, for me, it wasn't weird, because I was used to it, but I'd see him, and it'd be a long time since I'd seen him, because we didn't live close. And when I'd see him, we'd go up to him, and he'd kiss me on the cheek, and he'd hold me, and he'd hug me and he's beautiful and he's great and he's affectionate. And I was wired and, and, I think, created with the love language of, of physical touch. And so for me, it was fine. My wife, on the other hand, was not wired or created that way. And the first time she met my grandpa, he got a little senile, older in age but he kissed her right on the lips. <laughs> yes. No, it happened. You t- asked her about it one time. So for me, I'm seeing this like, this is normal. This is what the Gietzen family does. We kiss each other. It's a greeting. It's, this is not weird in other parts of the world, by the way. But we're all Norwegian and Scandinavian and weird about feelings. I have no idea why I shared this story. I really don't. I just, it came literally the image of my grandpa kissing my wife popped into my head. I was like, I got to share the story. But he lived. So for him and this for Elisha, this is important for him. I want to go say bye to my mom and dad. <laughs> the image is still there. Sorry. Let me go say bye. <laughs> Sorry. I'm lost. You might have to come finish, man. Yeah. <sighs> Let me go say bye. Can you throw that verse up one more time? I, got, I need it. <laughs> he said, and then I will come with you. I'll come and, and, and say yes to this call of God, to, to following you, to being your apprentice. And Elijah replied, what have I done to you? He says, go back. What have I done to you? And when I first read this a couple years ago, when I like first heard this, I was like, I think Elijah's like, Mad at Elisha because Elisha doesn't understand what just happened. But what's really going on here when he says, What have I done to you? It's this recognition, like, listen, go do what you think you have to do. I didn't call you. He's saying (laughs) He's saying, I didn't want you. I'm not the one. Who is taking you from this place? I'm not the one who's gonna say yes or no to you to go say bye to your parents. God is calling you. What Elijah is saying in that moment is the call of God is something that comes to us, it's not made up, it's real. There's a reality to it. Have you had this moment? Where it's become so evident and clear that God is calling you into something bigger and greater than yourself or than anything you could ever imagine. All throughout Scripture, we see God calling. Not just people, specifically individuals, but all people. All, especially in the New Testament, followers of Jesus. Jesus comes in starts calling people into repentance saying, calling people saying turn turn from your way of life of living for yourself and turn towards God. In the New Testament it talks of as we're followers of Jesus says I've called you from darkness into light. Ephesians 2 10 I think is one of my favorite Ideas of this. It says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Leave this scripture up for a while. There's two aspects of the reality of God's call. And I think Ephesians speaks into both aspects, and I think we see both played out in this scripture, in this passage with Elijah and Elisha. You're God's masterpiece. His workmanship, his handiwork. This word in the Greek, in the New Testament, was written in Greek. This word, masterpiece, is poema, where we get our word poem. He's saying you, as God's children, as followers of Jesus, are his artwork and he's the artist. So be that. Live as God's Masterpiece. For he has created you anew in Jesus so you can do the good things he planned for you long ago. Two aspects of God's call, of the reality of God's call. One, God calls us first to be something. Two, and then he calls us to do something. Real quick on those. God calls you to be something. This is speaking of Identity. This is speaking of relationship. This is God inviting you into his family. This is God as he sent his son Jesus down. And as you give your life to Jesus, is calling you as a son or a daughter of the creator of the world. You are his masterpiece. Two, God calls us to do something. When God calls you to be something, it's very general. It's for all people. And it's through his son, Jesus. The second aspect of that call, of what Ephesians even speaks to us there, is that there are things that God has ordained for us, that has planned for us. Good things, good works for us to do. He's called us to do something, responsibility. He's given you specific, unique tasks only you can do. There's a specific purpose, plan, and people that only you have the ability to, to bring the kingdom of God to. God calls you to be something and to do something. When, when, I'm not going to have you come up again. I appreciate you, Jeff. When Elijah throws the cloak on Elisha, we don't get any scripture of what this means. We don't get any explanation of what this is. What's happening here is this was a view of, and it was an understanding even between Elijah and Elisha, that as the cloak went over, he was initiating an adoption process. He was initiating almost, in a sense, a contract in this idea of being a part of his family. But we recognize that Elisha, Elijah didn't call Elisha God called. Him. So as he puts the cloak over, it's this, uh, it's this metaphor of the father clothing his children, providing for his children. And both Elijah and Elisha had knew of this. To cast your cloaker, in some verses, cast your mantle, is to initiate and was a metaphor and a picture of asking someone to be a part of the family. God was calling Elisha to be something. To be a part of his family, God calls us to be something. Calls us into relationship as followers of Jesus. He says, "You are my son and daughter." And then, this, so that's general. That's for the call is given out, and invitations given out to everyone. Call on the name of Jesus. Accept that call into the family of God. And God calls you to do something. We f- see in First Kings nineteen the first two verse, three verses I read. It said, Elijah, go anoint this king, then go anoint this king, and go anoint Elisha to be the next prophet. Your specific task, the thing God is calling you to do, is unique to you. What are the gifts you have? What are the passions stirring in your heart? You don't have to be a pastor or a preacher or a prophet To do the work that God is asking you to do. That God is asking all of us to do. To advance his kingdom. To spread and share the gospel. He's saying, you don't have to have a specific title. Will you just accept the responsibility of how I created you? The gifts I've given you. The passions that are burning inside your heart. Will you say yes to that? My wife loves helping people. She knew she wanted to be in the medical field for the longest time. She's able to still do the things God is asking her to do working in a public clinic as a PA. There are teachers I know who love Jesus. And yes, they are bound sometimes by certain laws. But in moments where God brings about a situation for them to pray for a student or to talk about Jesus, she accepts that responsibility and does it and isn't afraid. There are business owners, farmers, students who accept the call of God on their life because they've been created in a unique, amazing way that they're in a specific place that they're in right now to advance the kingdom of God, to help people know Him. I'm going to have the team come up and we're going to talk about, okay, what does this mean? What's the response to the call? How should you pray tonight? What does this look like? There's going to be three things that are going to get put up on the screen. Three things that I want you to pray through. Three things that I believe Elisha did that we can do. Accept the call. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, if if tonight was the first night of an understanding that God has invited you into relationship and it happens through his son Jesus, accept that call of being. Accept that call into relationship. If you've never accepted the call of doing something, the call of responsibility, of this recognition that God has gifted you, has put desires and passions in your heart, has ordained before you were even born good things for you to do in his name and for his glory, accept that call tonight. what is God asking you to burn? We see Elisha get the cloak on go to Elijah and say can I go say bye to my family and he goes and he sells all of his oxen and he burns his equipment because what he is doing, what he recognizes is that there's no turning back now is I'm accepting the call into the family of God and I'm accepting the call of the responsibility that he has for me. And in doing that, I don't want to have excuses or reasons to come back. I don't want to know that the plow was still there, that the oxen are still there waiting for me in case, in case I get scared. Or fear starts to overwhelm. There's a recognition in Elisha that he needs to burn everything and sell Everything because he's all in the thing that happened in his heart for him to throw a party for his entire town when he recognized the call of God on his life was so powerful and impactful for him in that moment that it wasn't just a in case fear overwhelms or I don't know what to do it was a recognition that I know there's no turning back now have good things. Good things for me, God. And he knew that. So what is God asking you to burn? To get rid of? To kill? To to completely sacrifice and let go of? And finally, on this idea of accepting the call of doing, of responsibility, God has gifted you. He's given you passions. If you don't know, ask him to reveal those to you. Write them down. I got a call into ministry when I went on, a, on an Oasis mission trip to New York because I didn't know, <laughs> one, what to do with my life. But two, there was such a reality in my soul and heart that people needed Jesus. And the pastor at the time gave me an opportunity to share and to preach at this mission. And i got up there and I shared and I preached and it was 15 minutes and I don't remember the 15 minutes but I remember when I was done that this is what I'm supposed to do. I think we all have those moments if we step into and allow ourselves to do the things that are just burning in our heart and our soul. Don't be afraid to say yes. A lot of times the call of God, the purpose that God has laid out in your life are when you recognize there's a hurt in the world and you use your passion and gifting that God's given you to meet that need. What are your gifts? What do you love to do? What are you passionate about? Father, we thank you for tonight. As we pray pray, I ask for just revelation. For people tonight who who you've given a recognition in their life for them to burn something, to get rid of something, encourage them and help them know that the Holy Spirit who resides and lives in them empowers them, encourages them to let go of the things you're asking us to let go of. Jesus, thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the light. We accept the call of being your masterpiece. And we will live out that call empowered by the Spirit, knowing that you have ordained and planned good things for us. God, we love you. Jesus' name.